You're listening to the Grace Covenant Statesville audio podcast. You know, with, with a new year, the opportunity for a fresh start. It's just one of those natural cycles of life that causes us to look back and reflect on the year that's been and look ahead as, as you know, we, you know, the year that's coming up, even though, I mean, technically it's just a continuation of everything we're doing. It's just one of these mental breaks that allows us to think and reflect. And when we, when we do look back, we celebrate God's goodness. I mean, each one of us can look back on this past year and, and consider th- something, if not many things that God has done in our life that has just helped us and, 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 and been a blessing and benefit to us. Then as we sit here today, or as we've come to the end of the year, many of us, we kind of evaluate where we're at, where our life's at, and we try and decide, all right, you know, what worked, what didn't work, um, you know, the, the, we, did we make progress in some things, or did we not make progress? And we're trying to just assess where we're at. And then we come to the new year, and um, we, uh, the, the word that we used there was calibrate, because it had to rhyme with celebrate and evaluate. And so we calibrate, and then we make the necessary adjustments to do better or to be better this coming year. And that's just kind of the transition. This is what happens at the, the, the change of, a, of, a, of the new year. Now, if you notice in the video, we just, the, the clip we just saw, that all the responses were relatively positive. I mean, they were they had hope, they had a fresh start, there were things they wanted, things looking forward to. Mo- many of them were general in nature. You know, this, you know, <laughs> I love Erlene, just no more craziness. We could all agree with, with that. But do you, do, you, do you remember the two boys sitting on the porch? The first one, he, kinda, he had the microphone a little too far away. Um, the one had the Cincinnati Reds baseball hat. I love what he said. He said, the, he said, the baseball team is all I'm trying to do. I'm working on it. I'm going to tryouts every week, trying to get better at it so I can make that team. He was intense, wasn't he? I mean, did you even notice his leg, his knees started bouncing? I mean, he was focused. He was, he was ready to play right then and there. You know, if someone had thrown him a ball, he would have hit it. Or, you know, he was ready to go. He was determined. And his behavior, his actions reinforced that. He's doing things that supported what he wanted to do and uh, who he wanted to be and where he wanted to go, at least in this, this coming year. You know, as I think about it, um, sports really are a metaphor for life. They really are. You know, in sports, you know, the goal is to win. Um, to, to, um, or if you're uh, something like an outdoor sports, is to overcome, to achieve, to reach the top, to, to uh, get to the bottom. Whatever the goal is, there's something there that we're trying to do. So quite often, in, there's an opponent. There's someone that's trying to keep us from getting to our goal, and we have to overcome obstacles. Sometimes they're internal obstacles. Sometimes they're on our own limitations. But how do we get to that goal? How do we overcome? How do we win? And hard work and determination are required if you're to succeed at sports, it, without exception. Those who work hard, those who succeed, those who have talent are the ones who typically win. The same is true in life as well. If you want to earn a degree, lose some weight, find a better job, or save money to buy a house, it all requires determination and effort, doesn't it? Now, within a number of sports, particularly um, basketball and, and football, there's a parallel within the sport to New Year. It's called halftime. 
Now, it's the midpoint of a game where the action stops. The players actually leave the field, and uh, typically they'll go into the locker room. And um, if the team is doing well that first half, there's usually words from the coach, you know, keep it up. Let's stay focused. Let's keep at it. Let's don't let up. Let's keep moving. There may be a few slight adjustments, but it's, it's basically a positive environment. And, hey, let's keep going, and uh, let's, let's win this game. Now, if the team is doing poorly – that locker room setting is very different. Um, quite often, you, especially you see this in the movies a lot. This is more in the movies than in real life. But in the movies, you know, the coach comes in and starts throwing things and ranting and raving and yelling at players, trying to motivate them to p- perform and be better. Again, that doesn't usually happen. Usually there's conversations about how we can do better. You know, what are we, we need to stop doing this. We need to start doing that. Well, in 1994, uh, uh, contrary to where our experience has been the last 20 years, the New England Patriots football team were not very good. In fact, they were quite bad. Some of us remember those days. In fact, their record at the time was three and six. They had won three games, had lost six. They had lost twice as many games as they had won. And even the year before, they were six and ten for the year. So they just, they had a history of not being very good. And in this particular game, it's halftime. And uh, they're playing, uh, I know this because they're playing my team, the Minnesota Vikings. And um, as usual, the Patriots were losing. They came into halftime, they, were, they weren't doing well. Coach uh, Bill Parcells, uh, if you're familiar with the National Football League, is a legendary coach, and he walks into the locker room and he doesn't yell, he doesn't scream. He makes this very simple talk, and he says this. I actually wrote it down. It's been, it's been recorded. How long are you guys going to take it? How long are you going to let the other teams do this to you? Some of you have been on this team for a few years, and you've been taking it for five, six, seven years. Some of you new guys are learning how to take it. Just how long do you want to take it before you do something about it? And he turned around and walked out. That was it. But that was enough. The Patriots came out, and they won that game in overtime. And they kept winning. In fact, they went on a seven-game winning streak and made the playoffs that year. And that began, that sowed the seed for what we knew would be that 20-year, I don't know what that, uh, for 20 years, they were the number one team. They were at the very, very top. But it all came where they came to this point where a coach said, how long are you going to take it? They didn't practice. I mean, they weren't practicing any differently. They weren't doing it was an internal thing that happened. Something clicked inside their head that says, we're not taking this anymore. We're going to do something about it. <clears throat> now, my sermon today comes from a passage in the Bible that's a halftime speech. Now, it's a familiar passage to most Christ followers. Now, the Apostle Paul is taking stock of his own life. Um, it's in Philippians chapter 3, we're starting verse 12 through 14. <clears throat> Let's read these three verses together, can we? Um, they'll be on your screen. Um, and as we read, listen to the, po- the tone of Paul's written voice. See if you hear someone who's decided he's not taking it anymore. <clears throat> so Paul says this. Let's read together. Not that I have already attained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, 
forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your words and for these words from Paul. Um, just a, a prayer of uh, his words of conviction and of passion. And uh, Father, as we unwrap it uh, a little bit more in the next few minutes, that we would have insight as well, that we would have the same conviction as Paul. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Again, a familiar verse for many of us who have been Christ followers for uh, any length of time. Um, so what can we take away from this? How can we look at this when we're talking about a fresh start for us this year? Um, as is typical with many sermons, we have three points. Um, three things that I'd like to point out. Uh, so one is, uh, the first one is that know there is more that God wants to do in your life. Now it's important to note that Philippians, this, the, where this is found, Philippians was, the, the, the Paul was, in prison in Rome, awaiting death. It's probably three to four years before he was actually martyred. But he's at the end of his life. I mean, he's, he's lived his life. We know from Acts there are three extensive multi-year missionary journeys that he went on. Un, untold number of churches have been planted. Thousands and thousands of people have come to Christ as a result of his influence. So, Paul would have been very justified in his letter to the Philippians if he had said something like this. I fought the good fight, now it's your turn. You know, I'm, I'm done. I, I've, I've done my part. But that's not what he says, though, is it? What he says is, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Paul realized that God wasn't done working in his life yet. You think about it, some of the most influential things Paul did and accomplished were in his letters. Most of our New Testament are his letters that he wrote while he was in prison awaiting death. At the end of his life, that, those letters have far more reaching effect and impact on the world today than anything he would have actually did at that point in time. God wasn't done working in his life, and God isn't done working in your life yet either. Sometimes it may feel like God has forgotten about you. Two things in those times that have really helped me. One is just to think back and reflect on all that God has done in my life. And there's been a lot. God has invested a lot into my life. The second thing then is to recognize that because God has invested a lot in me, he hasn't not, he's not now going to say something like, you know, okay, I'm done. You're on your own. Go for it. You know, no, no, he's, he's invested in it. He's going to continue to see it through until the very end. God has so much more that he wants to do in all of our lives, more so than we probably are even aware of or sometimes even we're willing to accept. Now, the reality is uh, th there's a challenge. The challenge is this. We have an enemy who is actively seeking to bring about our destruction. James 5.8 tells us, Be alert and sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. I think one of Satan's more effective strategies is to cause us to see ourselves incorrectly. To focus on our shortcomings, focus on our insufficiencies and our failures and things that we don't do well. And he gets us to believe that we have no value to God. and God has no use for us. 
And he does this by continuing to bring up the failures in our past. And that leads me to the second point in our outline here this morning, is that we need to move beyond our past. In verse 13, Paul says, forgetting what is behind. Forgetting what is behind. Now, for some of us, it may be one or two big things in our past about which we're ashamed. We carry that guilt and we carry that shame with us because of something that happened. And it could be many, many, many years ago, but we continue to carry it, even though we've asked for forgiveness many times. The events in our past keep us from growing in faith. I don't know about you, but I love to collect seashells when we're at the beach. Um, walk along the beach, and, and I'll pick up things that catch my eye. And for as I'm starting out, you know, I just I'm picking up with one hand and I'm holding with the other hand. But pretty soon I've got too much to hold, and so I stick in my pocket. And as I keep walking, if I walk long enough, both my pockets are full. And by the time I actually get back to the beach house, I've got quite a few. <laughs> my pockets are bulging with shells and shiny things and things I think are pretty cool looking. Now, imagine, though, if instead of shells, I'm carrying stones. Now, not big things, but it's like the size for skipping. You know, so it's not a tiny little pebble, but a stone of, of some size, but it's not too big. And I'm, I'm and and. And instead of putting them in my pockets, I'm putting them in a backpack. And so I collect these stones and I put them in my backpack. And instead of a 30-minute walk on the beach, let's just say I'm collecting these stones for a week. Well, it wouldn't take long before the backpack is too heavy to carry. I mean, we can envision that, that the more stones we get in, the heavier it gets. And pretty soon it's too heavy and I'm not actually able to carry it. I'm actually dragging it behind me. And if I continue to add stones to it, it actually, in theory, could get too heavy. I couldn't even pull it, and it actually becomes stuck. I, I, that's it. I'm done. I can't move. Now, stones that I've collected have caused me to, to not move all to, at, at all. Life just stops. So my point is this. <clears throat> While some of us are weighed down by one or two things in our past that have just come boulders in our life, Others of us have been collecting failures and sin over the course of our life. And ultimately, the effect is the same. Both approaches, whether it's one or many, both of them keep us from growing in our relationship with God. Now, there's only one way I know of to get rid of a past that weighs us down, and that's to leave it at the cross. Now, in just a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to, to tangibly do just that. So right in the middle of the sermon, we're going to take a moment here. And in your worship guide, you'll notice a little red sticky note on your thing. If anybody need one that doesn't have one, everybody has one. If you don't have one, raise your hand and Cameron will get one to you. There's a little red sticky note. Now I want you to just consider your past and write down something. It could be one word. It could be an event. It could be a sentence. It could just be what. But one thing that you think is holding you back in your walk with Jesus. If there's anything in your life that continues to plague you with guilt, my prayer for you is that James, I'm sorry, John 8:36 will be your promise. John it says, "So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed." Now, it's possible that some of us may be sitting here and there's nothing specific. We don't have this big event in our past that is really weighing us down. 
but maybe we have just this general sense of fear or our failure or this general sense of insufficiency. And maybe we've been collecting pebbles and stones. No, we just find ourselves at a point where we're stuck. And we think less of ourselves than God does. We believe the lie from the enemy that God doesn't have any use for us. My prayer for you is, comes from Ephesians 2. It says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.